Welcome to Calliope's Sanctum, a story podcast hosted by me, writer Sylvia B. Linstead. This podcast is dedicated to Calliope, primordial and first muse of epic poetry and ecstatic song in ancient Greece. This podcast is a place of sanctuary for her oldest stories. It is a return to the wild garden, to the spring, to the ground of being and the source of inspiration in the earth. Here, we honor Calliope as muse of earth. Here, you will find some of the stories beneath the stories of old Europe, short fictional or poetic pieces written and read by me that explore elements of indigenous old European mythology, a term coined by the late archaeologist Maria Gimbutas with a focus on pre-Hellenic and pre-patriarchal Greece. Come sit with us in the honeyed light among the ripe pomegranates, in Calliope's sanctuary, where the stories that arise directly from the ground of being and life force can still be safely told and celebrated. Come lean against the sun-warmed stones, with the fragrance of propolis and myrrh in the air and the trees heavy with autumn quince. This is the garden before the fall, a sanctuary for all hearts in this time. Join us and be revived. Podcast sound editing is by Simon Lindstedt. Podcast art is by Catherine Seek. And podcast music is by Adonis Leontidis. Welcome back to Calliope's Sanctum. It's been quite a while since the last time I shared a story with you here. I'm very happy to have a new one to bring to you today. This story was actually written written really to be read. It wasn't read aloud. It wasn't written to be read on the page. So it came forward as a story spoken aloud a couple weeks ago. For a combination of reasons, it started because I was contemplating the morning star, having just gone down below the rim of the earth, so to speak, meaning out of our sight. So Venus right now is in the underworld, as they say, astrologically and mythically, until early December when she will become the evening star and we'll see her in the western sky. So right now she's passing out of sight, kind of... um, between the earth and the sun in such a way that we won't be able to see her. She's below the rim of the horizon. And I had this image of Venus not beyond the horizon in a way that's kind of hard for my animal body to hold, but actually descending inside the earth, which is what it would mean, you know, if she was in the underworld, so to speak. And this image of Venus in the earth just struck me. The morning star woman, as I call her in this story just kind of came forth as her name, Morningstar Woman, walking down inside the earth to be close to the earth. And what that would mean, what that means, Venus, you know, the star of love, coming into the earth, coming deep inside the earth and coming into kind of an embodied incarnate experience. And at the same time, I was reading a book called The Maiden King by Robert Bly and Marion Woodman, which is their unpacking of a Russian fairy tale called The Maiden King or The Maiden Tsar, which I found deeply arresting and synchronistic for various reasons for me at that moment. And 
this image of Venus descending inside the earth and the story of Ivan, this young man, and his beloved, the maiden Tsar, the maiden king. They just flowed into each other. You'll find, however, that if you read the original Russian fairy tale that I've taken some liberties, weaving in themes from other myths and folk tales and fairy tales from Europe. Um, one of them that you, you might notice is a reference to the Fisher King from the Grail legends of the Arthurian cycle, as well as a few details changed or shifted from the original story around the number of brothers, the addition of the ring, etc. You'll see what I mean. The writing of this story came forward quite forcefully one night, <laughs> early morning, around 4.30 in the morning when I woke up and just needed to write this and wrote it in kind of a, a fit um, of passion and, and, and vision, which was a bit intense, and then um, recorded it originally for my substack to share there, my substack, which is called The Pollen Basket a new place where my writing is shared. I guess that hasn't, that wasn't around the last time I shared an episode here. Um, and it felt, it felt urgent because something in it, something in the heart of this story, which is really a story about love in the truest, deepest sense, both human love, love, true love between human beings, whether that's romantic love or just, um, all the forms of love and our relationship to earth our heart's relationship to earth, our relationship to God, to source, to the divine in this moment of such intensity on this planet. And particularly it came forward as a prayer as well for the women of Iran in this moment of huge uprising and violence and courage, like unbelievable courage and danger and all that they're standing for and all that I stand for beside them from here. And all that I stand for in my own heart, um, yeah, all I stand for in this life and in love. So, yeah, that's that's the context of this story. And I'll I'll make um, some notes below in the notes where you can you know see the name of the book if you want to go read more. It's a wonderful unpacking by both of them from two different angles, and I also. I'm releasing this as a celebration, kind of a um, a prequel or a little taster celebration of the release of my latest collection, The Venus Year, which is available right now for pre-orders and it will be shipping out from England in sometime in December um, when I'll be printing it. And the first 300 copies are signed and they're going to be very beautifully packaged, kind of as a nod to my gray fox epistles from long ago, my stories that were sent in the mail, wax sealed and all that. I, I can't promise that these are going to be wax sealed because they are books, book packages. We'll see. That could be fun, you know, if I if I hand wrap them. But they're going to be beautiful packages with, and they'll be signed. So there are special editions, um, just a few dollars more expensive because of that. And know that your pre-orders are so supportive for me getting this book out. And I'm really, really thrilled to be sharing it with you. It is obviously from the title, the Venus year, um, you know, connected to Venus's cycle, which this story began as a, as an ode, kind of a, um, an exploration of. So 
the book chronicles a Venus year, as I call it, in my life, meaning one Venus cycle as we perceive that cycle from the Earth when Venus moves from morning star to evening star and back again, which takes 19 months. So Venus's year seems to be 19 months compared to an Earth year. And during that time, this Venus year spans October 2018 to June 2020. So it spans this really intense, formative um, period of time in my life when a big relationship ended for me, a long love relationship ended, and I moved to Crete. And each month I was writing poems and short stories, kind of exploring both my interior state and also reworking Greek myths with an eye to and a passion for their root systems, their pre-Hellenic root systems before um, kind of a more patriarchal Hellenic culture or even Mycenaean culture before that kind of took over specifically the island of Crete. So this book is a mix of those poems and short stories to one or two from each month for those 19 months. And then these almanac notes of the seasonal movements, the seasonal blossomings and fruitings and notes from my days. So it's kind of a mythic memoir and an almanac at once. And it has a Greek translation to honor the native tongue of the island that held me so completely, so mysteriously and so powerfully during that time to honor um, the heritage of the island and the language of the people who I love there. So I think without further ado, I will leave you with Morning Star Woman. Thank you so much for listening and for being with me here. Morning Star Woman and Ivan, the youngest son. In mid-September, when the moon was a dying sliver, Morning Star Woman walked down behind the rim of the earth. She had been getting lower and lower in the sky by the day, her hips and skirts and belly widening with light right there at the edge of things where the world curves, which the birds who fly very high up like migrating snow geese or swans, can see. The closer she got to Earth, the more animal Morning Star Woman became. Among other things, she became very hungry. She was used to subsisting on great winds and dreams and celestial light, but this was another kind of hunger. A day came when she was so close to the Earth, she walked the whole circumference of the dawn. Then, on the next day, she was in. It was like going right through the wall of a clay vessel still on the wheel. The curve yielded to her weight, opened, let her in, then closed around her, smooth and damp. And so it was that Morning Star Woman went into the earth. She didn't need a light, of course, because she was one. So bright, the deep caves with their long stalagmites. Their gentle-faced bats, who knew the songs of every form and creature, became warm for the moments that she passed through them. And the bones of the ageless dead, Cambrian, Cretaceous, Pleistocene, Holocene, sighed, and let go a little of lingering grief, warm at last. Morning Star Woman found the bones of a swan down there, fossilized in a limestone channel where cold spring water ran. 
Where she stepped, the cold spring bubbled and turned warm. Where she touched the swan bones, they became a boat. She set the boat on the warm flowing water and climbed into it, and the boat was fired by her heat into pure gold. She went around inside the earth like that for a time. Her boat took on the luminosity her body emitted. Heat moved underground from her, through to impossibly distant places. It was unexpected, her warmth, rearranging. Old, recalcitrant stone deities shifted and fell in love. Ocean trenches opened and closed and sang. Kronos stirred and longed for her, but she was becoming more flesh, more human heart by the hour, and hungry, desperately hungry for more than light and shadow playing on stone or water. Morning Star Woman dreamed of an animal beloved, a human beloved, of Swan Woman's wings and the sound of water in marsh grass and the mortal warmth of an egg. She dreamed of cycles that were hot and ordinary, milk and sleep and sex and food and courage and danger and longing as strong as the heart and as true, of sleeping hand to hand and heart to heart, of the whole terrible regal business of love and of death. She dreamed of a human man who was her husband. He was broad-hearted and kind and handsome to her. She didn't really know what that meant. She didn't know if he was young or he was old, if he was ugly or beautiful. He was both. He was instinctual and sweet and fierce, and he pleased her more than anything else she had ever known. Even before she saw him close up, she saw him. And with that longing, she left the underground waters for the above-ground waters. Her heart moved her boat up into the blue air and onto a great river. There, she and her body and her boat assumed a more manageable heat, a mortal one. Beneath the ground, the earth glowed where she had passed and was changed. Above the ground, she wore swan feathers and white shells from the riverbed. Her hair was black as the night she'd stepped down from, black as the earth, so black it had the night's blue in it, and the earth's. It hung very long and free. It flew in the wind like a flag. As Morning Star Woman came down the river, she saw him. She knew him easily from a distance. He was out fishing with his older brothers. He saw the flag of her hair before any of them. He saw the shape of her standing there in the prow. He saw his life coming toward him on that river and his death. She came before them all, mostly human now, but still with a little strangeness in her and a soft light that emitted a tenderness we often find hard to bear. Newborn child in the arms, newborn cub in the den, newborn fawn in the grass tenderness, and at once the tenderness of a woman so very old she has seen and lived through every conceivable loss and still has her heart in her eyes like coming home when she looks at you. 
None of the brothers found it very easy to breathe. Ivan, I am your wife, she said to the youngest brother, the one with the fishing line in the nets, the one who knew her the minute he saw her. You are my husband. I saw you from so far away, from another world, and still I knew your name and your form. I've come so far to find you. As long as you walk this earth, there is no other for me, as there is no other for you. This I know. And so I will come back in three days' time, and we will be wed. Her throat was as the swan's, long and bright. Her eyes had that coal dark majesty, and they were devastating and radiant to look at. Her voice was all the longing Ivan had ever known, singing, singing for him and him alone. He could hardly see the river for her light. He could hardly see anything or breathe for the unruly, glorious pounding of his heart. It just happens like that sometimes. One look and the heart says, There's my bird. There he is. I remember you. There's my swan. There she is. Portal, root, gate, grail, woman of my soul. I remember you. I remember. But just in case, Morning Star Woman gave Ivan a ring to remember her by. Something part quicksilver, part earth-forged gold, part pearl. Don't take it off. Don't forget me, or you will never believe you saw me. You will call me a dream, and you will lose me, she said to him. How could I forget, he said. How could I possibly risk losing such a one, such a one as you, my own heart, now that you have come at last? He needed no ring to remember, Ivan said, but still he took it and put it on at her bidding. Then he rushed home with his brothers to tell his father to prepare for this wedding, for this meeting with his beloved. Perhaps if his mother had been alive still, she would have helped him, but she was not. She would have warned him about his brother's envy. She would have protected him from his father's pain, but she could not. You are the ugliest of us, his brothers said to him when they got home. Surely she got it wrong. Surely she meant me, the eldest said. You are not fit for such a woman. You never were, the middle brother, who was the fairest, said. Indeed, agreed their father, who had plans of his own. On the first night, the middle brother stole the ring for himself from Ivan's finger while he slept. On the second night, the eldest brother stole it from the middle. On the third night, their father stole it from the eldest, and with his sons all three asleep, Morning Star Woman only a dream to each of them now. Ivan's father went to meet her by the river and take her for himself. But the moment she saw him coming through the early light toward her, this man who was Ivan's father, with his hard eyes and his hard hands and his breadth that was not kind but greedy, this man who walked with a limp from a wound that would not heal in his thigh, 
Morningstar Woman knew what had happened, and she began to despair. You, you are not my Ivan, she spat at him, and became ugly before his eyes. Not the swan woman, but a woman of bones and of age and of anger. You are not my husband. You have taken what is not yours, and you have betrayed your sons. Go home and wake your son and send him back to me by the goodness that is in your heart, or you will be cursed, and you will curse this world. You are not the starry queen my son described you as. Ivan's father exclaimed in horror. You, you were as ugly and shapeless as an old piece of rock. What a fool that Ivan is. What a fool he has made of me. And he threw the ring down in the marsh grass and left her standing there and told Ivan nothing, reminded him of nothing, only that he was a fool and worthless. Not until he was on his deathbed would he confess to his son what he had done. But by then, Morning Star Woman was already long, long gone. She waited for one day, and then two, and then a week, and then two weeks, and then a month, and then two months, and then another two. Every day she waited for Ivan to wake from his sleep, to come looking for the ring she had given him. And every day he did not come, she grew heavier of being. She had forgotten even her hunger. Gravity had its way with her, as if she hung from a hook, hung upside down from a tree. She grew fur around her heart to soothe its hurt. She grew claws. She became a swarm of bees. She grew a killing beak and the feathered skirt of the phoenix, each feather a blade. That Ivan, she said to herself some days. Maybe he is just like his father after all. Maybe I was wrong. If he comes here, I will cut him to pieces. I will eat him whole. That Ivan, she said to herself other days. I miss him. I miss him like I miss the sky. I miss him like my own... Soul, I miss him like the story I've only heard the beginning of and cannot survive without the middle and the end and what comes even after the end. But one day, all of it became too much for even her to bear. He is not coming, she said to herself, patting her own arms. He is not coming back for you, Morning Star Woman, she said to herself. I, who once saw all things from the sky, did not see this clearly. I must have been wrong. He must not be my bird after all, for I am certainly not his, or he would have come by now. No matter what stood in his way, he would have come. Surely I would not have chosen a beloved who did not love me back. Surely, surely I can see better than that. I, who was once the morning star in the sky... She felt then one of the worst betrayals of the heart. That what she had been so sure was true might not be true, or that the truth of love alone was not enough. That the human mind can put a knife through the heart and leave it out in the cold, saying, 
everything is fine. And stick another warm thing where the heart should be and forget after a while that it isn't the real one. The one of fur. The one of blood. And so she turned, her heart still her own, but desolate, to fly back into the sky in her golden boat. She'd had enough of this place. But she found that her boat was heavy oak now and had foundered in the mud and that her skirts were no longer swan light but heavy too in the aftermath of grief, a thousand flakes of obsidian sewn onto bearskin. So there was nothing to do but climb out of her boat at last, put her feet down in the mud on the good earth and weep. Where she wept, a spring formed, and animals came to it to drink when they were unwell and to give birth to their children in safety. Later, humans followed their animals and were healed there too. After she had wept a long time, Morning Star Woman saw the ring glinting there in the mud. She bent down and picked it up, weeping the dying song of the swan. It was a hair-raising sound, and a swan came to her. A swan came to her then, through the water, pregnant with her egg. And that swan swallowed the ring down whole. You keep my love safe, Morning Star Woman said to the swan, for I cannot love Ivan any more. Then she walked. She walked for centuries. She wore different skins. She walked in and out of them as easily as changing for dinner. She was a cream-colored bear, a reindeer whose antlers welcomed birds, a mountain cat, a rattlesnake, a snow goose, a mare. She stood at the foot of the cross when Christ was crucified. She knew his weight when he was lowered to the earth. She waited there in the garden by the tomb. She changed forms hundreds of times, thousands. She fragmented and coalesced again. She danced in the ghost dance ceremony when the buffalo had been killed all across the great plains and were heaped in white piles of bone. She held Abenaki elders as they died in her arms of smallpox. She ran in the snow in the night when the Nazis ransacked her village. She chained herself to the trees of her family's olive grove when the Israeli army came to take their land. She wandered without hands, betrayed by her father, cast out by her husband, the king, who had listened to the devil instead of his own heart while he was away at war. She became the thousand women, the ten thousand, in the streets of Iran, cutting her hair, showing her hair, her black hair as fertile as the night, screaming to heaven and to earth for justice, for freedom to be, for the dead, for the good, for God. She died in the streets where they died and was resurrected in the streets where they were resurrected for their hearts were the hearts of warriors guarding what is most sacred, guarding what cannot be replaced. Every heart a grail, guarding the source of life, the ground of life, the living water, the living flame, earth.
She walked further still into a time we cannot yet see and out again. Beyond man or woman, beyond nation, beyond law, she cried out, We are dying. We are dying. We are dying all together. Can you not see it? Can you not turn? Can you not wake? Can you not remember? Can you not weep? Can you not ask the question you were born for? Can you not drop everything else, everything else, drop your nets and make new ones that are for love with all that is in you? Can you not go home now and tuck your sons in? Can you not go home now and race your daughters by the sea? Can you not rest your hands, take them from the trigger and listen for the heart? You stabbed through not once, but seven times at least, the heart whose source is all, and whose only precept is to stand in love's river and let it change you. There are a hundred thousand angels to your right to help you. There are a hundred thousand angels to your left to guide you. There are a hundred thousand angels above you to soothe you. There are a hundred thousand angels below your feet to call you in and home. And those angels are the memories of the brightest stars you have ever seen, and those angels are the birds of your country, and those angels are the dead who are ancestors in the ground now who love you, and those angels are what it is and always has been to be utterly pure of heart. Those angels are what is and always has been utterly pure in your heart. What Morningstar Woman didn't know was that Ivan walked through the centuries, too, trying to find his way back to her. It took him at least half the time just to remember her face. It would come in and out of his dreams with the migrating of the tundra swans, but never stayed when he woke. But when his father was on his deathbed, dying of the wound in his thigh that had never healed, he told Ivan what had happened with the ring, and his beloved, who was not beautiful at all, but a terrible old woman who looked like a lumpy piece of rock, he said. Now it was he, Ivan's own father, who had betrayed him. It was he, Ivan's own father, who had betrayed his life's joy. Ivan felt like he had been ice all this time and now had walked into a fire. He turned and left his father there to die without asking him the question that might have freed them both, that would have made it easier, the question of the grail seeker to the grail king. But Ivan did not look back as he walked. He slept on the burial mound of King Arthur, weeping, but no one came to help him, and he did not know then how to sing. He slept in the cairns of the warriors of the Black Sea and in the Tholos tombs of the princes and shepherds of Mycenae, but none of them would wake when he called them. None of them heard his cries for help. Where is she? Where is she? Where is she, my morning star woman? Where is she, the one we loved and then forgot? The one who keeps our hearts alive? Then one day, he came upon a little boy playing in a woodland just beyond the bombed-out apartments of a city street at the end of the world. 
The little boy was dark as an acorn, with a white dog at his heels and a slingshot wrapped around his wrist full of berries. And in this forest there were not the sounds of airplanes passing or guns being fired, but strange, wild, unruly sounds. Wolves moving and bears, the hooves of horses thundering like his heart had thundered the day he met her. The little boy took him by the hand, and the little hand was warm and soft, and he said, I am your great, 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 so many greats you will never believe me, great grandfather. And I know where the love of Morning Star Woman is and who can help you win her back. And he guided Ivan deeper and deeper through the forest until the forest became a marsh, and the marsh led to a bend in the river where a hut made of rushes sat, smoke curling merrily from its smoke hole. And the bend in the river felt familiar, place Ivan remembered maybe from a dream. A spring flowed near it, welling up from the ground. Ivan, said a voice, and an old man came out of the hut. I would teach you, son, how to fish properly this time, for your beloved has hidden her love for you in a swan's egg, and the swan has hidden the egg inside a silver salmon inside a trunk at the bottom of the river and only a fisherman who knows how to ask the right question can ever net that chest from the riverbed. So, my son, let us go bury your father properly now, and then we will see about that question. And after that, we will begin the knotting of your net and the casting of your line. Meanwhile, when the waters of the world were rising and the forests of the world were burning and so little made any sense, Morning Star Woman, who had long since stopped her hoping but had yet to stop her wandering, heard the call of the old, old woman of the moon, the oldest woman in the world. She heard it when she was walking somewhere very deep in a forest that seemed strangely familiar and terribly, magnetically unruined. Daughter, daughter, sweet woman, morning star woman, came the voice of the old, old woman of the moon. Come in and rest a while here, for I have the breakfast table laid, and I know how hungry you have been. Come in, daughter. You have traveled long enough it was a night when the moon was dark and the oldest woman in the world came to travel around on the earth in her great stone-white mortar with her great stone-white pestle. And there she was at the edge of the forest, beckoning. The morning star woman followed her and found herself walking gratefully through a threshold back by the river where first she had met Ivan in a hut made of reeds with the old woman of the moon. The old woman was smoking a pipe made from swan bone and pulling the most fragrant loaf of bread Morning Star Woman had ever seen out of a glowing ember bed. The bread had been baked of the flour of the dead, of seeds that people's ancestors had kept hidden in their pockets for a thousand years. Seeds the world had forgotten. They broke bread together. 
It was warm and sweet. Morning Star Woman ate and ate and ate, and it felt like the first food that might sate her in an eon. But somehow, no matter how much of it she ate, she still wasn't full. The old woman in the moon smiled at her, that tender, tender smile of an old woman who has seen every conceivable grief in the world. And she brought Morningstar Woman a great, pure white swan egg and a little silver spoon. Here you are, my love, she said. I think this should be enough. With the first bite, Morningstar Woman felt something delicious tickle at her chest like a feather. With the second, the delicious feeling moved to her breasts. With the third, it moved to her belly. With the fourth, to her heart. And with the fifth, to her womb. It tastes of honey, she said. And the sea, she said. And the night sky in winter, she said. And the river, she said. Oh, God, the river, she said. She took a long, ragged breath. And she breathed that long, ragged breath out slowly. Oh, grandmother, she said. And she began to cry. At last, the kind of tears that are not lonely tears, but tears that are warm because they are in good company. Oh, grandmother, there was a man I loved once, so long ago. His name was Ivan. I know, my dear, said the old woman. I know. And it was not so long ago, I don't think. Perhaps not so long ago after all. For it is he who brought me this egg and he who cooked it for you, and he who ground the flour for this bread, which is the bread of your marriage feast. See? And she held open the other skin door of the hut to the marsh and the river bend, to where it faced a hut of rushes, where an old man lived mending fishing nets. And Ivan stood there, he stood there before her, dressed as he would have dressed himself that day thousands of years ago, or only three, had his father not betrayed him, had he not fallen asleep, had he not forgotten her face. He was wearing the ring she had given him on his finger, and in his other hand he held out a ring made of the sweetest thread of marsh grass for her. The wedding, they say, lasted so long that Morning Star Woman became Evening Star Woman and gave birth to their first child beneath one of the feasting tables. And that child was the light of the world all over anew. <laughs>